Every day we hoistle in at Pilots and Pitards Podcast. Welcome to the Pilots and Pitards Podcast. This is the podcast with nothing much ado about aircrafts, but potentially everything to do with the first episode of a filmic series. Disclaimer, petard is a word. It's a real word. Look it up later so you don't get hoist by your own petard. I'm Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming, existentialist, pilot critic, and Kenny of the podcast. And joining us, we have returning hoister, Critical Carl. What up, everyone out there? It's Critical Carl again. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the return. I hope I can do another good job. For today's episode, join us as we cast judgment and determine if the Armageddon parody slash satire Good Omens will be hoist or not hoist. That is the question. Part one will be spoiler-free. We're going to hit background, two-sentence summary, then we will dive into the evaluation of this pilot episode titled In the Beginning. So this series is based off of a 1990 novel written by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman is very famous for comic books, Sandman. He's also written, or actually a lot of his books have been adapted to film or TV series. Terry Pratchett is another name you'll see a lot at used bookstores. They they were talking about turning this into a movie or a film for a while. Terry Pratchett is dead, and Neil Gaiman is the showrunner and writer for this series. And I guess him and Terry Pratchett made a agreement. And so Neil Gaiman's going to continue the story into the second season. I I think the first season here is going to cover the novel, but don't quote me on that. I know absolutely nothing about where the series is going or what the original plans were. I can see something like this becoming a movie. That's like a big debate right now. Should something become a movie or be a streaming service kind of a platform where, again, we're in the pre-dawn of the streaming wars? I think something like this just makes more sense as an Amazon show or like a Hulu. I'm not sure how many seasons they plan on squeezing out of it, but. Two-sentence summary. Crowley and Aziraphale want to stop the Armageddon. Will it be too late when Crowley realizes he mixed up the Antichrist? Stay tuned to find out if you should give a steaming pile of crap. So as mentioned, we're going to jump into part one. This will be spoiler-free evaluation. We're going to, you know, spend not that much time on this section, and we'll give you an opportunity to pause and decide whether you want to watch this before we spoil everything in part two. As usual, you know, we're going to talk about the highs, lows, maybe some in-betweens. Overall, just the quality of the pilot. I will start off. This show is ridiculous. The plot's ridiculous. <laughs> the characters are ridiculous. But I yeah. think this is a, a high point. It's ridiculous in, like, the ways I love ridiculous comedy. There's a lot of kinetic energy right from the very first frame. We were both talking before we got on air that the opening sequences are, like, one of the, I think, the standouts is a lot of fast pace uh, toward the beginning. I, I liked it a lot. And it adds in philosophy. So you have like you have like these ridiculous characters, but then every once in a while they say something that has philosophical implications that, for me, it just makes me think a lot. So I like to laugh and think, and this show did a really good job of, for both. I think one of my biggest high points was absolutely the characters. They were really interesting from the, from God to the angel and demon character, even the side characters like the nuns that appear later on and the, I guess, demon henchmen. I just thought the characters had a lot of color to them. It was a lot of color. And, and the show is kind of dark. It's like weaving through like 
colorful and dark scenes as well. So, so there's a lot going on visually. It wasn't like laugh out loud, hilarious, funny, but I mean, there's just a lot of funny stuff going on. Carl, do you, you have anything else to add? Maybe high points and then we'll maybe see if what, what we have for lows. Again, just the pacing of the beginning. I thought when you, when we introduced the sequence of having the babies get crossed around, I thought that was just really well shot and the way it was kind of telling you visually what was going on. And you, of course, know that the characters have no idea that, uh, that their plot is kind of unraveling. How about low points, Carl? One of the biggest low points, I think, was the pacing toward the back end. The pilot kind of also rushed a lot of the story. You know, it got really slow and Azarafel and Crowley are talking. There's a lot of like bench sequences. And I, and I understand that there needs, needs to be exposition, but they were doing so well at shooting and framing the sequences before. Toward the end, I just got tired of watching them talk to one another. I just thought it got visually kind of, uh, boring. I could agree with that. I did enjoy it still. I thought it was funny enough to keep me engaged. I wasn't distracted by exposition dumping. So would you like, would you say it was too much exposition? Not too much exposition, but just the way, again, it was being shot where you had Azarafel and Crowley talking about whether they were going to do this was the right thing or not. I know we're still in a non-spoiler area, but they were just, again, thinking about their plan. And I thought that they could have showed us a little bit more than maybe told us what they were going to do. It was kind of uh, easy to see where it was going. Yeah, that's a good point. As far as, uh, I mean, this is definitely not an Avengers movie, and there's there's not a whole lot of action, especially the back end of this pilot. So if you're looking for action, you might be unsatisfied in this pilot episode. Yeah, I got to be honest. I watched it twice, once last night and once this morning, or, you know, maybe like around the afternoon, and I ended up falling asleep and kind of just nodding off toward the end. I feel really bad because I do like the show. I do like the production value and all that good stuff. But I think the story just really hits a wall uh, toward like the 35-minute mark and just slowly gets to the end. It took me probably three or four sittings to finish it as well. So I don't know. It's it's only one small factor, but you can definitely notice it because you're having a lot of fun in the beginning. It's like zipping by when you introduce the characters, the uh, the beginning with the mythology of Christianity and religion, that stuff is all great. And then once we start to get, you know, the future of where the series is going, I just felt like that kind of stuttered in, in terms of keeping me uh, entertained. Some really large leaps in time as well. So it's, it's, it's very developed in the beginning and then kind of rushed. Those are some high-low points. Yeah. So let's pause it. If you want to watch and know what's going on before we talk about the rest of the pilot, pause it now. We're going to go into part two and we have not seen the series. So as far as the series goes, we're not going to spoil and we haven't read the book. So the series and the book are still going to be spoiler free because we have no idea what happens. (laughs) And so part two is our filmic analysis. We're going to dive into the story. We're going to analyze maybe characters, plot, whatever. We're going to start off with the Crabman Award. This goes to a character with a small role that has large contributions. I didn't really come up with one. I I kind of felt like the characters I liked were fairly established. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. There aren't many minor characters. Everyone's screen time is split up pretty nicely. My uh, Crabman nominee, I guess, would be Sister Loquacious. 
she was the nun that uh, wasn't assigned a role and and also was kind of in, uh, influential in the switcheroo with the babies and just like the wink between her and the other nun. I just thought those two were so funny and she's huge in the whole mix up. So, you know, the Antichrist get get swapped on accident because Crawley is not a very good demon <laughs> or maybe he's a good demon, but he's terrible babysitter. He's not a good babysitter. He's a very complacent demon. Maybe. <laughs> Even when the nun is kind of entertained by the baby and it's like, Oh my God, is it him? I'm holding him. And he's like, yeah, he doesn't. He's just not about it anymore. I think he's kind of over that cult following of that, you know, of the cause. And I think he's just done with it. Yeah, he is in and out and he wants to continue partying. So <laughs> I I can definitely give my crab vote over to Sister Loquatia. Loquatius. Loquatius. Do you know what Loquatius means? No. Oh, I mean, that's the joke. Okay. What is it? What's it mean? Loquatius means someone who like is talkative and like verbose and is like always speaking. That's why I thought it was funny that all the nuns were kind of silent and obedient. And it was clear that the one nun was trying to pass her along, but when she just wanted to keep interrupting her, I just thought it was on the nose and really funny. But the fact that you called her Loquatia and she was African American, that was kind of, yeah, you maybe didn't understand. That's okay though. I still love. I missed that. That is funny. <laughs> so is she, is she more deserving of the war now? She is much more of a crab nun. Hands down, dude. Crab nun. Ding, 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 ding. Yep. We have a crab nun award going to Sister Loquacious. Okay, so now we're going to move into our MVP. This is the most valuable part of the pilot episode. Could be anything on or off screen. I know my MVP. I'm going to let Critical Carl jump in with his. Oh, gosh. The pressure's on. I think my MVP might have been... When Adam decides that he wants a dog for his birthday and you see the hellhound shifting to the dog that he wants. Originally, that hellhound is like very scary. Uh, but when it comes like the nice puppy, I thought that was, it was nice. It pulled me back in after the pacing. So strong finish. Yeah. Yes. Definitely strong finish. You know, to comment on that, I thought it was interesting. Like this, the Antichrist wants this little tiny lovable dog. Well, because he wasn't being raised by demons, like he has grown up in, the, I guess there were the Dowleys or the, I'm not sure of the family it just, name. It was just a normal British family. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so that was what made it, again, there was a lot of situational humor and irony with the characters where Crowley and Aziraphale are spending all this time, I think it was like 11 years trying to coach this one kid to be normal and neutral and not evil. And they wasted their time because the other kid just ended up getting the hellhound and, once again, ridiculous plot that just, it kind of, I mean, it makes both the angels and the demons look really bad, which will bring me to my MVP because I think the intro is the MVP and that's when we first meet these angels. Actually, there's like two intros. There's a voiceover with the narrator that is God and that's really funny. It's just a bunch of animations, but philosophical paradoxes and the criticisms of both science and religion are really good and it's funny and then we meet adam and eve and we have our two protagonists azarafel crawley and azarafel and and their just first interaction is really funny as well there's you know like confusion and doubt in both of them and it just really grabbed me for this pilot episode and actually made me overlook a lot of the boring aspects that we talked about in the low points. I didn't really 
I wasn't really consciously aware of those while I was watching because the intro did such a good job just pulling me in. I, I agree with you. The intro, even though I'm kind of harping on the pacing issues and that the latter half of the episode wasn't as strong, the intro is magnificent. I could see myself watching that again in a couple of weeks or, you know, in the future. I think it was really well done. The Adam and Eve shots were, were amazing. Uh, and again, just the immediate comedy pulls you in. Like you said, ridiculous is the best word. This plot is very zany and sidewinding. And this show is also hyper aware of like time with his references to the eighties. And then you have president Bush. And it's, this is kind of interesting that all this stuff is happening in and out of time. So I thought the, the intro set it up really well. Go and watch this intro. I would say 10 minutes or less. Probably yeah, it gets you in. Yeah. Minutes, like those, right. those, like those first, like once that scene finishes, watch that twice. Like that's that that's so good. It's everything before the title sequence. Yes, that's what happens. And once they once Azarafel and Crowley realize, all right, well, we'll just figure this out when it happens. And the main sequence, uh, the title sequence uh, appears, which is also really great. The animation on that and the music was really strong. I thought that was really great. Kind of long, but great. Yes, agreed. Visually pleasing and fun as well. So now we're we're just going to continue with literary analysis of the plot pilot characters whatever one of my questions is so for some reason crawley really needs aziraphale like he's constantly going to him to help with his plans and aziraphale although he is is compliant he doesn't seem to need crawley so like i'm like kind of wondering why is this demon either so insecure or why is this demon so incapable of doing something without crawley that's a good question and a good point. I, I think it boils down to Crowley feeling as though it doesn't really matter because ultimately good is going to triumph. He says that several times in the pilot where I think in the beginning, the opening sequence we talked about, he mentions, oh, well, you know, it'll all work out. You know, you, you know best because you're good or you're, you're inherently an angel. And even at the end, he says, oh, well, you, your guy's going to win, meaning I guess God or the light side. So I just think he kind of feels like What's the point of like having a fight or caring? It's all going to work out in the end. And I think, the, again, the buy-in is not there for him. So that brings us to Crawley's motivation. Obviously, he probably has the most to lose by the, Ar- the Armageddon. He's living a pretty awesome life as a demon. He really likes culture and he likes being a, a British guy. For him, like <laughs> spending eternity in hell is a huge loss. But like on the other hand, for the angel, I mean, he definitely has doubt. And I think it's mostly because Crawley is is constantly messing with him and poking at him to like cause him to doubt. Crawley is definitely the character that has the agency and is really kind of driving the story, at least in the pilot episode. I agree with that. I think Aziraphale is like, Maybe motivations or emotions come from the fact that in his mind, everything is going as planned. And I thought that was really well juxtaposed with both of the characters kind of, like you said, overly enjoying their time on Earth, where Crowley's blasting Bohemian Rhapsody, he has a nice car, he's, you know, very flashy. And then you also see Azarefell enjoying sushi and speaking, uh, maybe it was Japanese, I want to assume, I'm not sure, but speaking to the chef and, you know, I think Gabriel comes down and says, why are you eating this? It doesn't matter. But he says, oh, well, I'm here. I'm just trying to, you know, be as the Romans. And it's clear that both the characters do enjoy their time. So I'm not sure why Crowley is maybe more uh, afraid. It's like you said, he has more to lose because hell is not as fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so, that, so that'll so that be interesting to see 
what goes on with season one. If if anyone is interested to not jump too too far ahead, we are going to tell our our judgment late, later on. But I think there's definitely some things to look forward to that are engaging with these characters and the plot in general. I agree. I'm actually interested in if I were to continue watching the show down the line or the season down the line, I would be really interested to see how the parents kind of come back into the forefront. I thought the father of the, I guess, one of the normal uh, males, I thought he was really well done or his character was really well uh, developed for that short amount of time he was on screen. It'll be really interesting when these kids have to be switched back. I'm assuming at some point, maybe it's in the season finale the the rightful children are back with their families or whatever when this um antichrist is supposed to reach his full power they're going to figure it out i don't know if they're going to switch back i think i think we're going to ditch the wrong kid so this is my guess prediction mm-hmm. that 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 we don't know i think they're going to ditch the false antichrist because we they he's absolutely worthless i mean yeah the the antichrist is going to probably go home to his parents with his dog and so maybe they're Maybe they w- will confront the parents or something like that. Our Adam, you mean? Adam, yeah, Adam. Adam, Adam, Adam the, the character's name is Adam, and we'll he's, and he's the Antichrist. Uh-huh. I think he's going to be one of the main characters for the rest of the series. And the other annoying kid with that birthday, he won't be around anymore? The, I think we're done with him. Okay, interesting. There might be some kind of a pop-up, but I don't know. They do kind of make it definitive when they say wrong boy or like wrong kid. So maybe they won't ever go back, but... It's like if they're trying to get this one Antichrist or Adam out of his family dynamic, I imagine they would try to replace him, but I'm not sure. That's a good prediction. But the other boy's name, so the false Antichrist, his name is Warlock, which is a badass name. So now I'm going to have to step back because you don't just name a character Warlock and ditch him. Like That's like that's not a ditchable character. Especially when you think about they, they put all that energy and, I guess, resources uh, into him. So maybe whatever was happening with that kid, I, I don't know. Maybe they'll try to – again, we don't know. My prediction might be, yeah, maybe they'll try to fake that uh, Warlock is still the right kid because they've raised him with all the knowledge. And I'm, I'm not sure it'll be one of those switcheroos midseason. Yeah, and in case any of you have, have seen this series, we will stop speculating now. <laughs> I have one more question. How much should the angels know? So we all know that God knows and sees all. In this world, God knows and sees all. I, for some reason, expected the angels to know and see a lot more. Uh, The fact that Crawley and Aziraphale can both lie and deceive the other angels kind of surprises me. So I think it's funny, but... It seemed like you're right in this world or this universe that the God character was all knowing, but it felt like the characters experience what we feel like as humans that this God isn't communicating with them. And even toward the end of the uh, episode, when Crowley and Aziraphale go to get, I guess, like their updates or to check in before the uh, Hellhound was released, they still don't speak to God. They're only reporting to like a higher, like hierarchy or like other bosses. So I, th- I thought that was interesting. It's like, you're, you're absolutely right. They don't really know what they're doing is right. And like I said, that's what kind of makes it funny and also sad that the characters wasted 11 years on the wrong, on the wrong kid. That's why I don't think we're going to just abandon him just quite yet. The other angels, like, like Gabriel is the angel Ga- Gabriel, who's a, a famous angel from, from the Bible. He doesn't know that 
Meddling? Yeah, meddling. Yeah, sure. Uh, colluding, meddling, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's unaware of that. Or or maybe he isn't. But it appears that he's deceived by them. I think they were aware that he was trying to do something. But maybe not, like you said, he was colluding yes. with the actual demon. They were keeping that very secret. Once again, now we're kind of speculating. So I, I think this is a good a good time for us to move into part three. We are going to jump outside of the pilot to the stage. We have our Stormy Daniels dangling threads of interest. For anyone new to the show, this is those topics outside of the pilot. And so the first one is one that we were talking a little bit about off mic before we started recording. There's there's some loud Christians, at least, that really didn't like this show. So, Carl, can you say more? Yeah. I Again, I hadn't watched the pilot before we decided to air or record this. But I did hear just on blogs and through social media that there were a small sector of people in the Christian Christian faith who wanted this show taken off of Netflix, taken off of Amazon, taken out of, like, I guess, access. I heard of something like this happening a couple years ago when the show Lucifer had first aired. Um, I don't know really much besides that. Of course, it's still being aired. We watched it. Um, but I did hear that that was only kind of backlash or just rumbling after the debut. This kind of surprises me because if you take the Bible as literal truth, I think you would enjoy this show because you would agree that the devil and demons are doing all these things to trick people. And so this show kind of brings that, brings that to light. But if you were another type of Christian that doesn't take the Bible literally, just kind of takes it as stories things that you can learn from and lessons and all that, then you should also enjoy this show too because it's just funny and ridiculous and it's like a parody. I'm not really sure like why exactly a Christian is so upset. Maybe – so as a super atheist over here, maybe maybe I see it as like just being funny because I don't actually care. I'm not sure. I think there's a little bit of uh, responsibility when it comes down to people's like dogma and their doctrines. When you come, when it comes down to like family beliefs and, and values, and yeah, their religious beliefs, they take those things to be very serious. I don't necessarily buy into that all the time either. I think it's okay to you know make fun of certain things you know respectfully, but I think that some people, if their religion or their ideology is being challenged or or parodied like we said at the beginning or or made to be a satire it's going to ruffle their feathers it's like all right you're not going to make a mockery of something that we find very serious because some people already inherently make fun of christians and that oh the bible is kind of comical do you really think someone walked on water do you really think that blah 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 where the dinosaurs so that already has that kind of a poking fun or poking holes at their religion. So when a show like this gets a lot of mainstream attention, I think it just adds like salt to the wound. But again, I, I'm not Christian. So f- from your just viewing recollection, would you say that they were poking fun at Christians more than like a secular or an atheist or a science person? I don't think they were making, I don't think the creatives or the showrunners were making fun of Christians. I don't think there was any intentionality in that at all. It only really lasted, I think, the first 15 minutes or so where it was very clear the Adam and Eve uh, a, a parody or the Adam and Eve 
beginning reference point. Other than that, I think that's just the most common creation story most people know in the world, worldwide, is Adam and Eve and the snake and the apple and, you know, the garden. I just think it's an easy origin point rather than something more obscure. I'm not sure what Buddha says the creation was like or what Jehovah says it was like. I know most people, either whether Christian or not, they know Adam and Eve. So it's just like a story within a story. It's not necessarily just poking fun at Christians, making fun of Adam and Eve. It's also poking fun at Muslims, which is the second largest religion in the world. Yeah, I didn't know that there was an Adam and Eve uh, story or parallel in the the Quran or the Muslim faith. I don't know. Besides speaking to friends casually throughout the years of high school and college, I don't know much about like where the origins our status come from in Islam. I'd be interested to know, but I didn't know so Islam is a Abrahamic religion. They believe in the same God that spoke to Abraham. So they do take on the the Old Testament. Like that's all aligned. Yeah, that's too. all aligned. The angel Gabriel is the one that talks to Muhammad. So yeah, like they they are the Islam oh, believes so in the Abraham. Yes, yes. Okay. Even Islam, like like they recognize Jesus as a prophet, not necessarily the Son of God, but they have gospels about Jesus. So. Islam is very much a continuation of of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I mean like all these religions Adam and Eve in the the creation story in Genesis is is what they believe. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Again, I hadn't heard that until just now. <laughs> so excuse my ignorance. I do not – again, I don't know much about these uh, organized sectors of religion and, and belief uh, systems. I think it's more of like a, for me, I'm like wandering in the dark and just feeling around as I've gotten older and as I'm going through life. But it, it makes a lot of sense that there's crossover and intersectionality between these belief systems. I also think that we're getting to a space now in 2019, 2020, and moving forward that pop culture is kind of ready to, I want to say embrace, not want to say demons or the devil, but it's becoming very mainstream. You know, you have shows like Lucifer, you have this now where, you know, the devil isn't a character in the episode, so just just to be clear, but where you have Crowley who's clearly working, they say Hail Satan and the nuns, it's like a lot of subversion where you have the typical nun church uh, environment, but the their outfits look a little bit more scary and gothic, and the the, cr- the crosses are upside down. I don't think you would have had a show like this in 1985. I don't think you would have had a show like this in 1995. I don't think you would have a show like this in 2005. What I'm trying to say is, I think we're f- just getting to a point now, and I don't know if that has to do with the country's actual belief systems and how people who watch Netflix or people who are just again streaming how they feel about religion or their content but i think overall hollywood and creators are getting to a point where yeah we might see a a comedy between god and the devil one day in the in in an office style setting i don't know if we're ready for that but it seems like we're just getting to that point we talked about the war on christianity maybe like 20 or 30 or 30 episodes ago Oh, that should be me. Yeah, you no, and no, I. No, 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 no. Pilots and Batards. It was, okay. it was, uh, it was Drew and I think it was Mo and I. We, we talked about the war on Christianity and we kind of shit all over it. You know, we kind of said like there's this not really a war on Christianity, yeah. but I think Christians that are afraid that America's not going to be Christian in the future, I think what Carl's saying is probably evidence that they would use. And, and I think culture obviously is shifting. There is a decent amount of, 
this show wasn't necessarily like satanic. Satanic? No, not at all. But and I, I don't really know what the show Lucifer is about. But yeah, there is. I mean, <laughs> you have like Constantine, and you have uh, other stories, or you have um, even uh, uh, the preacher. You, you have you have a decent amount of stories popping up that that are kind of like Milton's like sympathetic or different view of of like evil characters or in the devil, of, of course. I absolutely agree. And you could even say that this is an extension of what we saw with True Blood and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Supernatural. I mean, you know, vampires, werewolves, and ghouls, those have been a common trope in horror for a while. But when you get to characters like God and the devil, I'm saying like those I think used to be like more taboo characters where you wouldn't even like, you know, touch a real god. Or, or the god or the devil, you would just make it something else, like a demon or, like you said, a Gabriel character. Now they're just doing it. Um, and I, I also don't think that there's been a war on Christianity. I was going to say, to combat this show kind of existing, we've had so many god-like movies for a long time. You have Bruce Almighty and you had the movie in the 90s with um, John Travolta where he played an angel. So we've had movies that have depicted Christianity in like a perfect, peaceful light. I don't think there's anything wrong with now having a show like Lucifer. Just for the record, I've never watched Lucifer. But I think it's a show about the devil. He comes to L.A. and he becomes like a lawyer. And he has to kind of like lawyer, I guess, and to get his way back to hell. Again, it seems people love Lucifer. I mean, it has a, a big fandom. I, I want to watch it. But uh, it seems like yeah, that also really pissed a lot of Christians off that this is becoming so mainstream and, and popularized. So maybe, so maybe we should add Lucifer to the to the uh, one of our next episodes. To be continued. <laughs> to be continued. So this actually moves into our watch or rewatch. So go ahead and Carl, are you going to continue with this series? Mm, I don't know. It's not like a right away. I have to see the next episode. It ends again. The cliffhanger is nice. I'll probably end up watching it when I'm alone. Maybe on a random Saturday or Sunday. It's not like, again, a priority. It's nothing that, it's not my cup of tea all the way. Uh, I'm maybe similar to Carl. I, I am interested. I did enjoy the beginning. As I already mentioned, that was my MVP. But, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I could see myself going either way. This is the moment you've all been waiting for to hoist or not to hoist. That is a question for any listeners. To hoist means it's a bad pilot, and to not hoist means it's at least good enough. We did kind of give an even distribution of highs yeah. and lows here. We did we did some complaining about the pacing. This pilot for me is definitely a not hoist. It's definitely good enough. It's not a perfect pilot. It's not going to be breaking the top 20, but it is above the cloak and dagger threshold for sure. And so I'm going to say it's a solid, or maybe, yeah, solid not hoist. <laughs> I'm going to say not hoist as well. You convinced me, but yeah, I feel like if it's not top 20, then. Okay, well, it's probably not going to be top 20. In fact, for any listeners, we have a link in the show notes of the next section. This will be our put it anywhere, guys, but there quest for the best and worst pilot ever. And we have that running list. There's a link. Go ahead, click on it, and we are going to place this pilot into that list this pilot is too long right it's too long it's way too long it's too long so we are going to place it as the new 49 
It is not as good as Married with Children, and it's better than I feel bad in most of the other pilot episodes below 50. So now for our Petardar. The Petardar is our recommendations for anything based off of the pilot or the conversation today. I am going to toss in the Petardar Good Omens, the novel. I haven't read it yet, but I'm I'm somewhat interested in reading that. I think both authors are very well established. It's probably a good book. There's also a BBC radio adaption of the novel called Good Omens, and you can listen to that. There's also a very interesting book I read about the rise and fall of Adam and Eve. If you're interested in Adam and Eve and you want like a scholarly look at that story and its implications, this book is very good. And if you want a little sample of Neil Gaiman, there is a microfiction story I absolutely love. It's called Nicholas Was. You should read it every Christmas season. It is awesome. It's a hundred words. And then I have two more things. So movie, I think Dogma, if you want, if you like this style of humor, Dogma is very fun. And then also This is the End by uh, Seth Rogen is one of the best movies I've seen this decade. That movie I absolutely love. I love its parody of the Armageddon. Probably a lot better than Good Omen. I've never seen this. Now that now that you recommended this you way, watch I will watch it like tonight probably. I've, uh, I've I've always seen it. it's always on demand, but I've never uh, I never caught it. My recommendations are nowhere near as like streamlined as yours, but just from our conversation about depictions of the devil and God and media, I think one of my favorite ones that's always stood out to me from the '90s was The Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino and Keanu Reeves, where Keanu plays a lawyer. And he has to, he's pretty much being tempted by the devil to make certain decisions. And we still have that same kind of argument about destiny, what's morality, what is good and bad. So I don't know. I think there's just been, there have been fair representations of good and evil, God and the devil and and media, if you know where to find it. So I don't think there's any need for protest. So just to give another reason to go watch This is the End, that's the only non-Star Wars movie that I've gone to see at the movie theater more than once. I saw it no twice. You, this has I saw to it be twice good. at the movie theater because I loved it so much. I convinced my my brother and sister in law. I was like, "Let's go watch it again." Like you guys got to see this movie. Yeah, and I think I, I loved it. College. I was like, "Yeah, I loved this? it just as much the second time as the first. I I'm gonna pay a movie theater to play this movie and go watch it again. You want that movie theater experience? Yeah, I'm gonna check it out for sure. Uh, I, I wasn't, uh, like I said, a big Seth Rogen and James, Ca- uh, was it not James Cameron, Jesus, James Franco, uh, fan, like after, uh, Pineapple Express, but I'll check this one out. There's a ton of stars in there. And I think just the, the critique on revelations in the Bible and the critique on just American culture is excellent. Oh, this is going to be good. I yes. Can tell. Yes. Is it like, uh, like idiocracy kind of like just like very self aware and it's, um, criticisms i guess you could say it's different than idiocracy okay. i mean it's it's like a seth rogan movie okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so i'll go <laughs> yeah. into it with that frame of mind idiocracy is more like office space right and this is the end is more like super bad i guess you know like sounds good okay if you're still listening that means you owe us for this ad free entertainment remember leave us an itunes review or rating Tell someone else about the podcast or listen to more episodes. If you are listening and enjoying the episodes, let me know because I'm 
kind of not enjoying making the episodes as much as I used to. And if no one's listening, I'll probably stop. And if there's an episode you want me to do, leave me a comment somewhere, like on the Facebook page or on the website. Or if most listeners probably know my phone number, so you could just text me. Let me know what you want to hear. Because as I said, if no one's listening, I'm probably going to stop. Call on in, guys. Keep the channel alive. I want to keep coming back. There's so many more shows we have to talk about. It sounds like Carl's in. If anyone else that's still listening wants to write up some pilot reviews, I did post a pilot review of Huge in France. I didn't like it much, so I didn't waste my time recording. But I did I did write up a, a analysis of that pilot. So if you want to write up some pilot reviews, I would love to post them. You know, you can start getting your your writing credits in there. So contact me somehow. Email, website, Facebook group, text message, whatever. Every day we hoistling, pilots and petards, out. We'd like to thank Jake Drew for the intro and outro music. 